So we've been in a, a series um, uh, that, that I title uh, The True Story of the Whole World. And uh, in the last couple weeks, uh, we've talked about creation and we've talked about uh, corruption. And this, this week we talk about community um, as, as a way um, that God um, seeks to rescue, to recover um, this corrupted, lost, good creation. So uh, five or six months ago, there was this blog post, this um, popular writer, um, speaker. Uh, he, he wrote a book uh, a few years back called Blue Like Jazz. Don Miller is this guy. And, and there's this blog post he wrote that got a lot of people talking um, about how um, he, he's spoken it about how he rarely ever goes to church anymore and, uh, and how he connects with taking a walk in the woods uh, rather than singing songs. And I think a lot of people in my generation and most of the generation of people here probably uh, empathize uh, with that. You know, I've heard um, from people my age that uh, a lot of them are one brunch away from never going to church again, right? And as much as I'm a church guy, and, and we're in like the foodiest town in the South, I, l- I would love to go to a brunch on Sunday morning too. But at the heart of some of these feelings, some of the behaviors, there seems to be a confusion, right? And a confusion about why church is important, why the church uh, is important. Most of us know that church isn't a building, it's a people, you know. Kids, you open the steeple and there's all the people. But why are we here? Why is it important? Is it just optional? Um, if, if people don't have much of a problem with Jesus, but they don't like or can't stand or don't want to be around the church, why don't we just knock out that obstacle? Uh, that's what we're going to be talking about today when we talk about community. And I'm going to invite Anna to come and read uh, a couple short uh, passages that we'll, we'll talk around. Yeah, it is Val, isn't it? Now the Lord said to Abram, Go to your country and your kindred, and your father's house, to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who curses you I will curse. And by you all the families of the earth shall bless themselves. chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, that you may declare the wonderful deeds of him who called you out of the darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were no people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Thanks, Anna. So a little uh, background on myself and uh, my call to church ministry, why this is important to me. Um, I grew up Roman Catholic uh, and was an altar boy. I could say Mass in, in like the third grade. That's how Catholic I was. Uh, and uh, I worshiped with Baptists in high school um, and, and started following Jesus um, through those kinds of expressions and, and got really involved with campus ministries. Uh, so much so that when I moved here, I worked for a campus ministry. 
and uh, and and the, don't read me that I think there's something necessarily wrong with campus ministry, but I began to feel um, after after a couple years of doing that kind of work, and I, I told uh, my wife on after we had been married for a year, we were driving back from the beach that I think I'm called to, to church ministry. I, I think I'm called to be a pastor. I think I'm called, and I think that calling means I need to go to seminary. And she said, I don't think you are because I'm not called to be a pastor's wife. <laughs> but it only took like the two and a half, three hours from Myrtle Beach to Durham that she like at least got over it a little bit, right? But kind of the reasons for, for that, and, and God rarely like, you know, loudspeaker speaks to me. Um, yeah, rarely, probably hardly ever. Uh, but it was more of like a, a nagging, um, developing sense that um, the ministry that I was doing through a, a, a parachurch that's a small slice of ministry uh, needed to be wider. Um, uh, I needed to be uh, with, with people of different ages and, and demographics and experience. It, it needed to be deeper than, than just the kind of floating around that was my job. Um, it, it needed more stability. My, my favorite thing to do, I was leading a guy's Bible study in the basement of one of the East Campus uh, dorms at Duke. And it was every Thursday I, I could count on, on being there with those guys, learning God's word. I think we made it through about two chapters of Matthew in two years. Um, and, and then, and then the, the church would be a, a, a place that, that for the kind of creativity and the surprise of being on mission with God. Um, so that's, when I think church, that's what I think. Uh, everyone's got baggage, and the, that's, that's my baggage, and it, it's pretty positive baggage. Uh, the last couple weeks, um, we've explored beginnings. Uh, two weeks ago, creation, the beginning of everything, and last week, corruption of creation, the entry of sin and death. As you read on in Genesis, it's really startling how fast sin compounds. It becomes obvious that God has to intervene or else the world is probably going to destroy itself. By the sixth chapter of Genesis, God commissions Noah and his family to be a sort of reset. He chooses Noah and partners with him to, to rescue not just humanity, but also every other sort of creature. The ground is hardly dry after this amazing act of divine deliverance before Noah and this is Noah, not Russell Crowe Noah, but Noah, before his drunken disobedience, before sin comes back into the picture. And a couple short chapters later, prideful mankind sets our culture-making hands to building a stairway to heaven at Babel. It seems that human beings simply cannot be trusted. I don't think that's too bleak of a statement with that data that we have. But what does God do? He formulates a rescue plan. It's a plan to renew broken creation, to reconcile a world that's walking, no, probably running away from him, to disarm a violent world that's bent on our own destruction. And how does he do it? 
He does it by reaching down like an oversized vending machine hand and he plucks out the good people and then he hammers bad people. No, that's not how he does it. <laughs> he does it, and this is crazy, he does it by asking an old man and his infertile wife to parent a family. He does it through community. His plan is for an old man and an infertile wife to parent a family. In the scripture we read this morning, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. For as seemingly as illogical as this sounds, there's really kind of a logic to it, right? Don't forget God took a void and chaos and made land and sky and night and day and everything that inhabits. Sometimes the worst, sometimes the very worst scenario is probably the best canvas for God to paint. Maybe barren wombs and empty hands are most prepared for God to not just fill with something good, but something good that will overflow to others. So when God comes to, his name then was Abram, and asks him to go to a place he's never been and do the impossible, he's putting in, a motion, he's putting in motion a plan for the blessing and the redemption of the world. Blessing and redeeming people through a people. Blessing and redeeming people through a people. Theologian uh, Tom Wright says, through Abraham and his family, God will bless the whole world. Shimmering like a mirage in the deserts through which Abraham wandered was the vision of a new world, a rescued world, a world blessed by the Creator once more, a world of justice where God and his people would live in harmony, where human relationships would flourish, where beauty would triumph over ugliness. So this isn't some sort of abstract promise, right? Sure, Sarah is still so surprised when God makes good on his promise that she laughs out loud and kind of inadvertently names her son Isaac, which means son of laughter. But God really does intend to bless Abraham with offspring. And he really does intend for that blessing to overflow to the nations, to the ends of the earth. The rest of the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament, are the story of this people, Israel. Their relationship with God. In Exodus, we, we read about all those twists and turns. The deliverance of God's people from oppression and occupation through the Red Sea. We shake our heads at the repeated cycles of disobedience that send them into exile and the repentance that brings them back to God. We scoff and we, and, and we empathize back and forth when they choose a king for themselves against God's urging and then when they get too comfy with the idols of the people that they're hanging out with, their neighbors. To be God's people by no means means that you get it right all or maybe even some of the time. 
Instead, to be God's people means that you rely, that you have faith, that you put your trust in God's, uh, the Hebrew word is hesed, his faithful, loving kindness. To be God's people means that you know intimately the kind of God that brings you into covenant and then doesn't break his end of the deal even when you break yours. To be God's people means participating with the rest of God's people. That's why we're together. In God's coming kingdom, knowing him as each of us as the lords of our lives and then as the Lord of our body life and changing our hearts and our minds and our actions accordingly. That's what repentance means. To be God's people means that we we groan in expectation, that we hunger and thirst for a Messiah to vindicate us, to set us free. And into that swirl of expectation, God sent his son Jesus to fulfill, but also to subvert all of those expectations that Israel had for her salvation. So when Jesus came, he, he came to do perfectly what Israel couldn't, to be God's agent of reconciliation and salvation for the world. And then, if you read the Gospels, it's another story of a people, because everywhere Jesus goes, he's calling a people around him, remade people, set right and set apart people, usually a band of misfits around Jesus for the kingdom work of proclaiming the gospel, healing the broken, freeing the captive, and forgiving sinners. This kind of people, this church, is not, not some moral club, or it's not just a, a haven from darkness. It's, it's not a, a building. It's not a fortress. Jesus gathered tax collectors, fishermen, ladies of ill repute, even a religious zealot who was terrorizing his people. He gathered them all to himself to make a people. He flung open doors and he set places at the table for a feast. A feast of among people that you probably wouldn't even want to eat with if you had a choice. Characters like you and me, even, That's what our potlucks are about, by the way. It's a sneaky way to do that. They're characters that are redeemed and being redeemed for the sake of the redemption of others. Because that's the thing. Our redemption doesn't just stop at us. We're kind of midstream in that redemption. God's people blessed to be a blessing. Don't you see how this is kind of a different picture of the church than something we do or something that we we bail on when there's a better option? Don't you see that this is why it's important for us to gather with people different from you who are learning to follow Jesus also, maybe in different ways, and sometimes they lead us in that, and sometimes they follow us, and sometimes they're just right beside us? Don't you see how discipleship and worship is it's always more than just like 
an individual pursuit. It's, it's never less than that, but it's always more. Don't you see how following Jesus is it's not a stagnant thing. It's, it's, it's got an inherent movement to it. That's why I like to call our Sunday worship services, I, I, I like to call them worship gatherings because there's, there's movement. There's, it's an action verb uh, and because it, in, in, you know, kind of entails that we gather together as a people to offer our, our prayers and our blessings and our praises, but, it, but also as God's people, we, we then scatter the rest of the time to offer those blessings to everyone else. Don't you see that as God's people, we, we always expect change. We work with God towards transformation. And that's all sorts of transformation. That's transformation in our own hearts. That's transformation in broken systems around us and in places where people fall through the cracks. We, it starts with the repentance, but it continues as we, as we repeatedly turn from other gods and identify other gods that, that, that are so tempting to us, to our society. It means that trusting Jesus to be everything for us that we couldn't be for ourselves. It means calling others to this Jesus people life. Another theologian, Richard Bauckham, says, mission, and this is, this is what we're talking about here, mission is a movement that's always joined by others. The movement is therefore an ever new people. When God's people is always an ever new people. It means looking forward to a day when Revelation 7 tells us there will be a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, language standing before the throne, before the Lamb. They're wearing white robes and holding palm branches in their hands and they cry in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits upon the throne and to the Lamb those who have been washed in the blood of the Lamb. So, as we work with the Lord to build and to grow Oak Church in Lakewood, I pray that we find inspiration um, in, in this passage that Anna read from Peter's first letter. And, and Peter is that, that rock that the church is built upon. Peter uh, wrote a young church and urged them to be what they already are, what they're called to be, to shun, to walk away from any other identity and to know that they are a people, that they're God's people. He says in verse 10, once you weren't a people, but now you're a people, the people of God. Once you didn't receive mercy, but now you've received mercy. He tells them what they are. He tells us what we are. He says things like, you are a chosen people. So I pray that Oak Church remembers the kind of choosing God did with Abraham. Choosing is, or some people call it election, is not just for the sake of the one being elected, but it's always for the sake of others. The kind that Jesus did in the Beatitudes uh, when he blessed people to be a blessing, and he blessed the most unlikely people. Blessed are the poor Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the hungry. He blessed some pretty unlikely people in order to be a blessing to the world. 
that we might be chosen, and maybe this is a, a good way to think about being chosen by God, is that we're, cho- we're chosen the way a magnet chooses metal filings, and then more metal filings flock to it. You know, it, it, it's, it's an ever-changing people, an ever-growing Peter also says, he says, you're a chosen people. He also says, you're a royal priesthood. I pray that Oak Church understands that when we're related to the king, it makes us royalty. That we live kingdom lives proclaiming good news, that God reigns. That we live in expectation of Jesus' return and reign. I pray that Oak Church understands that God's people are called priests, too. Because we, we minister to each other. We, we bring people to God. We facilitate forgiveness. We, um, as 2 Corinthians 5 says, we're agents of reconciliation. A chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation belonging to God. Pray that Oak Church knows that we're, we're holy in, in the same way that we're set apart, but not just set apart from, but set apart for. That we take our cues from God's Spirit and God's Word and that we have eyes set on the fullness of God in Christ. I pray that together we, we look at all the different stories and identities that we were enchanted by and that we... We're in the constant process of learning how to leave them behind and aside in comparison with belonging to God. The next thing Peter says is that you're God's own special possession. A chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation belonging to God. And then the last part of verse 9 says, declaring the praises of him who brought you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So that's my last prayer for Oak Church is we'd be a place where people experience and and expect and express our transformation, being brought from darkness and sin and death to life, to God's marvelous light. To to um, when we talked about the 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 fall narrative, and and we see we see what happens when. when, when, you, when you feel exposed, you, you try to hide. And, and being brought into God's marvelous light means that you're no longer hiding, that you're open, and that rather than feeling exposed, you feel uh, liberated and, and free um, to be known and to know others. I pray that our, our worship kind of bears this kind of intensity, and it's an intensity of, of people who have something to sing about um, because... Because we know the Lord, we, we've, we are his people, we've tasted and we've seen how good he is. You guys pray with me. Father, I thank you um, that you continue to teach us to be what we already are in you, what you've called us to be, your people. Chosen people, a, a royal priesthood, a holy nation belonging to you. That our, our chosenness is for.
for the sake of the blessing of others, our, our priesthood brings them and each other to you. That our holiness is, is to be set apart for the sake of your purposes. God, I declare your praises. I thank you that Psalm 139 says, even the darkness is as light to you. Father, we thank you that, that church is not an afterthought to you, that your people um, are not just a collection of individuals, but a, a, a people, and that you've included us in your, in your plan for salvation, for blessing. We thank you that in Jesus, uh, you've joined us to you, that you've grafted us into your plan. We thank you for Jesus who, who came to, to do what we couldn't do, uh, to save us. 